Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Yes, the doctor is still in, despite last week. Dr. Batar, man, when you, when you were railing on the groups or saying, you know, I'm not part of any group, you, we were both talking about that. And I'm thinking, you know, is that going to really alienate folks who are talking about the autism issue and really hitting the heart of it? But it looks like the message got through, doesn't it? Well, I'm used to alienating people, so I'm not <laughs> sure what you're referring to. But uh, if it's not, if I didn't alienate somebody, that's good. That's always a good thing. But, you know, my goal is never to alienate anybody, Robert. My My goal is to expand their mind so that they can see different perspectives and sometimes it does alienate people but the mm-hmm. idea is really to stretch their mind and open them up yeah well that's what advanced medicine monday definitely does i you know i used to joke that i was afraid that i'd be like scaring little old ladies when i started the show because <laughs> you know we're, we do some driving music here it's upbeat it's not kind of milk toast puts you to sleep stuff and yet uh you know we we tend to g- get more of an audience each week and despite what what you said last week which was good by the way i'm glad you did it but some folks that have this, it, we, we get into group identity. Everybody identifies, I'm in this group. And it's like, wait, no, no, no. What about the individual? What about the individual kid? Whether you're a member of a group should be inconsequential compared to what your commitment is to helping these children that were damaged. And that was the essence of what we did last week. Yeah, it, it, that exactly is what our goal was. And I think we accomplished that because it's an important message. It's a recurrent theme of what we talk about. And I think that as with any marketing technique they say that you have to have heard the message at least five times before it starts to really make a impact on individuals and so i think that even if it really wasn't a key to marketing where we're trying to because that's what we're doing we're marketing our concepts so that people can understand the philosophy and, and benefit from it but i think even if that wasn't true from a marketing perspective from a from a philosophical perspective, you know, they say the person has to hear the message multiple times before they understand it. But I think you and I, regardless of whether that's true or not, we are – this is us. We yes. are infatuated with these concepts, with these principles. It's become who I am. This is what I live. This is what I preach. As my daughter said when she was 13 years old at school, when asked, what, is your, what do your parents do? He, she said, I don't know, but my dad's uh, infatuated with mercury, something to do with mercury. So, <laughs> you know, and, and that's really kind of what it comes down to. It's not that I'm infatuated with mercury or I'm infatuated no, with no. sugar. I know sugar's bad. I know mercury's bad. And I want to make sure that people understand that and they stay away from it. And, and that lady's uh, message that uh, there was a lady that sent a message to us on Facebook. Uh, I want to say her name. I just want to, I want to say it wrong. Sandra. Sandra. Yeah. Oh, well, she's a Sandra she, Totally. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. She's a great uh, longtime listener, real big supporter of this message of health, freedom and healing liberty. And she did. You know, she was kind of the, the confirm confirmation. You know, if I was at all concerned about what we covered last week, coming off autism one and speaking, you know, truth about these things. Sandra said it right. She says, I love what you said Monday on Robert's show about groups whose only agenda seems to be one of gleaning more power rather than helping children. I'm happy to see, and of course, she's talking about you, Dr. Batar. I'm happy to see you refuse to put your name on any of these groups and that your only goal is to help children. Uh, and then she goes on, I wish you were coming to the Health Freedom Expo. 
I would love to see you along with Liam, Ty, and Robert. Yeah, she said Ty, too. Don't hold it against her. <laughs> but I, she says, I will definitely be looking to attend one of your seminars in the future. You rock, Doc. You see, you're the rocking doctor now. <laughs> I guess so. Being on, with the introduction that you have for the Robert Scott Bell Show with the hard rock, I guess uh, that is a compliment. But, no, it really does mean a lot that somebody um, you know got that. And I appreciate your comments, Sandra, the mean a lot. So a lot more than you realize. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I, we'll, we don't always get the feedback that, that the message is landing. But like you said, what we're doing here is preaching what we live. This isn't, you know, you and I don't meet off hours before we go on the show we sometimes we just just dive right in and we haven't what do you mean, oh, sometimes what does that mean sometimes pretty I think much that, all I, the time yes i have just, some ideas tell me one time when we have ever <laughs> planned what we're going to say well I, I sometimes i'll have an idea of where i want you to go or what we want to cut but it's true you'll just show up and you, you'll let it rip so this is unedited if if you will pretty much dr batar this is who he is if you haven't figured that out already and you know what we're talking about too is when you say we're marketing our ideas it isn't like like we, we went to a marketing class and said, well, before we go on the air today, we've got to hit this thing and we've got to hit it this way and this many times. It, it's funny when I've seen so many seminars about these things. How do you do it? It's like, dude, I never took the seminar because I just said, I just want to be me. I just want to let it loose. That is our truth. And that's what it's so gr- what's so great among many things that we do when we get together. Well, Robert, it's interesting that you bring that up because they have been a couple of times when I've attended some seminars on internet marketing and mm-hmm. I've had so many people tell me how effective my message is when I'm on stage, this, that, the other. But when I was attending these marketing seminars, they made a very interesting point. They said that the people that move others have never felt and don't believe that they're selling anything, which I have never felt I'm selling anything. Right. And they said those those are the people that, that are so effective at this. But I've never ever thought I've sold a single thing. In fact I can't I don't think if I had to sell something, I could ever sell it. However, they brought up a point that every human being on this planet is selling. And when I heard that, I thought, that's an absurd statement. And then they quantified it, and they were right. They said, if you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth, you're selling because you, you, you're concerned that your breath doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> and so that is because you are selling the idea that you're a person that has proper hygiene or that you are a person that it would be nice to engage in conversation with or whatever the case may be. So even the fundamental things of bathing, of brushing your teeth, these are selling. You're marketing yourself. You're marketing your ability to interact with other people. And so when they brought it into that perspective, it made a lot of sense that really all of us on this planet, in some way, fashion, or form, we are selling our ideas, marketing our concepts, marketing ourselves, marketing our thoughts, marketing our ability to engage in conversation that we're, uh, you know, a good person to be friends with, or whatever it is, whatever somebody's agenda is. Mm-hmm. And you, not, not meaning that everybody's out there trying to sell a used car. You follow what I'm saying? Well, I also think the concept is is really one of uh, deceptive practices of marketing right i think we're so out there there's nothing to hide it's just like here's here who here's who we are here's who i am here's who you are this is what we believe and have at it right we don't have to sneak around the bush if you will to kind of go hey let's surprise them with this they won't know it and we'll get them right none of that's going i think that's the distinction between there's nothing wrong with marketing or selling something but there are so many deceptive practices like for instance the selling of drugs or vaccines a lot of deception involved in that well actually even just the way the media works it's all deception 2020 60 minutes um the uh, the uh, show on PBS Frontline, you know, every one of these shows I have publicly stated 
in, during the interviews, I've publicly stated that I will take on anybody in a public forum to debate these subjects. And in fact, I have put out the challenge to take any conventional medical facility, any higher echelon of education, any university-based medical program, you send 20 kids, 40 kids, 60 kids, I don't care how many kids, you, you pick the patients, you send them to an independent third-party hospital-based medical care system, you have their pediatric neurologist evaluate the children to make sure that they all have the diagnosis, whatever the diagnosis is, you know, as far as developmental delay, whether they say ADD, PDD, autism, autism spectrum disorder, whatever, you get a third-party independent hospital-based medical system to evaluate and give them their diagnosis. Then you take the worst half and give them to me to treat, and you treat the other half however you want to treat them. And I will take anybody on for this. The only stipulation is that the results must be aired on public national TV, and nobody has ever, not only have they never taken that challenge, they won't even put it on their shows. 2020 never put it there. Both times that they aired the show, they never put it. Frontline never put it on there. They will not put that information out there because they're afraid of the challenge. So when you say that, you know, we're not trying to um, do our message from a subversive way, you're absolutely right. It's all open. It's completely out there. And I'll put that challenge out again, Robert, right here since we're on the show. I don't know that I've actually put that challenge out on on the show on Medical Rewind, but mm-hmm. I never thought of it actually before. But the challenge is very simple. As I said, 20, 40, 60, 80, I don't care how many kids, they Pick them, they send them for evaluation. When I say they, I mean the conventional system that says that mercury has nothing to do with autism, the vaccines have nothing to do with autism. And then you let me treat the worst half, that they decide who the worst half is, and we reevaluate those same children in whatever period they want. Six months, a year, two years, I don't care. And let's see where, where the cards fall. Well, we know that that's, uh, <laughs> that kind of challenge is one they run from because there's no control over the results and that the whole concept is is the scam. We exactly. are going to have a study and we are going to determine the outcome before it ever happens in order to prop up an agenda. And this is, you know, yesterday, Dr. Vitar, you'll like this. I covered a story about the flu vaccine. I know we're sort of out of the flu season, or at least the flu shot marketing season. But this study, double-blind placebo-controlled, including they actually used a saline placebo instead of a, a, a vaccine placebo with all the mercury and everything in it. This is the first time I think they've actually done this. And the, the end result was the flu vaccine did nothing to, let's say, lower the amount or number of cases of flu, but it did indeed increase by a factor of over five. 5.5 times more respiratory infections that may or may not be flu-related in those that got the actual vaccine. They goofed on this one, or somebody did. Well, so they actually published it. Yeah, it actually got published. This is the this is the shocker about it, and it's uh, related to Sanofi Pasteur's VaxiGrip and yeah, the trial. I'll bet, mm-hmm. I'll bet you, Robert, they're going to try to retract that study. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're going to. I mean, it, it's, it's a desperately bad study for them. Because they, they now have to acknowledge that the only way that they could claim efficacy, and this is what they still do, and they, this is their sleight of hand magic trick and marketing trick, is that they do serological studies. And they basically say, well, if we've achieved uh, some form of a titer that we can measure, an antibody, the way we've designed it, that's a success, even though there's no reduction in influenza, and in fact, there's an increase by a 5.5 factor. Uh, in respiratory infections. It doesn't matter. That's the part they don't want you to know. The other part, they say, hey, look, we, we did get antibodies, but it shows you that the antibody is not, not and never has been sufficient to prevent disease. And it may actually be an antibody or some type of a hapton antigen reaction that has nothing to do with 
what they're actually their agenda is, meaning that there's an inflammatory cascade that's elicited that causes an antibody reaction that now you can measure actually using a titer to see what the, that the antibody levels have gone up. But it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that it's an antibody against the virus because many of these viruses, they haven't even been elucidated yet. So then yeah. how can you come, if you don't even know exactly what the virus is, how can you say that you have an antibody against that very virus that we know already that more than two-thirds of the species of viruses out there we haven't even mm. typed yet? And that, but they know that the medical reporters in the mainstream media do not ask the questions that you and I would ask and point yeah. out. So they they don't have any concern for that, except now the growth of the new media covering these stories and picking them apart in this way is making it much more difficult for them. And that's okay. We're good with that. <laughs> what was the, uh, could you give me the reference of that study again? Cause that would be a nice one to actually give patients when they ask for material that they can take back to their regular local doctors. Yeah, absolutely. And this was published in the Clinical Infectious Diseases, it's called. It's Clinical Infectious Diseases. And I've got the link up in the show notes. I'll get that to you right now, Dr. Batar. And when we come back from this break, we may discuss it and more. Also, uh, the FDA, someone high up in the FDA is questioning a whole class of blood pressure medicines. And Dr. Batar is as, as well-versed in anything talking about these blood pressure issues. So we'll do that and more on Advanced Medicine Monday right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Tell your friends. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good. It requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Remember, if you ever miss one of these shows and you don't want to miss an Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashi Batar, you can always go to medicalrewind.com. We have the links up in the show notes every week, and they are there. In fact, they'll blast out around the world. And, of course, if you're he- listening to us on UK Health Radio, we, we love that you're here with us. And now picked up by in Australia by Digital Radio 103. So very cool stuff as this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty grows. And the controversy grows about these vaccines, Dr. Batar. But, man, this, this new study is pretty interesting. Interesting the way we're picking it apart. Well, Robert, we haven't even really started picking it apart now. I mean, mm-hmm. when you start looking at this and, and what the study's suggesting, it's actually beyond amazing because here's a study now in mainstream journal, and this particular journal is not an obscure journal. It's a pretty well-known journal in infectious disease circles, and it's basically admitting that the vaccines don't work. Now, what is interesting is that they're they're suggesting in the study that the people that received this particular, this trivalent influenza vaccine could increase influenza immunity at the expense of reduced immunity to non-influenza respiratory viruses, which comes back to that 5.5 times or 550% increase mm-hmm. in chances of acquiring a non-viral respiratory condition. So what they're trying to say now is that the increase in immunity against the virus is actually causing a reduced immunity for non-influenza respiratory viruses. Now, this is an absurd statement in itself (laughs) because if you think about it, how can something increase the immunity of one particular area of the body and then actually cause a compromise in the immunity in another aspect of the body or another specific area of the body that 
it just it doesn't work that way. Either you improve immunity, you increase immunity, or you decrease it. You don't have the immune system that compensates by going up on this side and, and then down on the other. Geez. This is like saying, that, well, with vaccines, you make a deal with the devil. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. It, in theory, you're like, well, we won't give you that, but we're going to give you 10 other things. Well, that's but not you, a good deal. <laughs> well, exactly. But it's actually even – it goes even beyond that for because they are they are actually suggesting an absurd argument – I mean, the absurdity of it has to be pointed out that they're actually trying to say that, yes, we acknowledge that you're going to get a 550% increased chance in getting a non-influenza respiratory virus. Mm -hmm. But they still are assuming, they still actually think that they can sell the idea of the increase in the influenza immunity from this trivalent influenza vaccine, which is absurd. Well, I, mean, I mean, there's no way that that's possible. Yeah, am it I reading absolutely this? Absolutely. impossible. Am I reading this wrong in saying they acknowledge that it, it actually didn't reduce the incidence of flu compared to placebo, but yet they're claiming the efficacy based on, like I said, some sort of titer, some sort of measurement of an antibody response, which it, it, what's the, what's the freaking deal? If if having the antibody doesn't reduce it at all, and in fact makes you more susceptible potentially to other respiratory infections. Well, that's exactly right, Robert. See, I don't even know whether they've actually proven that because it's almost like their agenda was to prove that the vaccines increase immunity, and now that it clearly shows it doesn't, they're still operating from the premise that yes, it did. But we know that it also worsened it 550% on this opposite side. Well, how do you know that it actually did improve the influenza immunity? Because nowhere in this particular study do I see that they did any type of titer. Yeah, but I they, do I, I, they, they do. They say serologic something, but I don't see the measurements here. We'd have to go to the original study. So that they're 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 putting all of their eggs, so to speak. No pun intended. If they used eggs to make this vaccine, which is like could be, uh, but the the idea is they're putting it all in serologic evidence that says, look, we measured some sort of antibody, so we are successful despite the fact it prevented no flu and increased the incidence of other respiratory infections. I mean, when you use the word absurd, that's almost an understatement. You're absolutely right. It is an understatement. It is definitely an understatement. Now, go on to the portion where it says, alternatively, this is the authors of the study now talking, mm -hmm. alternatively, our results could be explained by temporary nonspecific immunity after influenza virus infection through the cell-mediated response or more likely the innate immune response to infection. That sentence doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> I mean, it's so absurd what they're saying. They... I mean, I'm just, I'm looking, I've read it twice and I just read it on the air. And each time I read it, it doesn't make any sense. How are they, how can they say the innate immune response to infection or the cell mediated response to infection is a temporary non specific immunity after the influenza virus infection? I mean, it just doesn't, it, it, it lacks coherence. The, alternatively, our results could be explained. What results are we talking about? That there's a 550% increase in, <laughs> right. in viral infections. Okay, so the results could be explained by temporary nonspecific immunity. Well, the temporary nonspecific immunity showed that there was a decrease in the immune response, not temporary nonspecific decrease in immunity. They're saying temporary nonspecific immunity after the influenza virus infection through cell-mediated response or more likely the innate immune response to infection. The innate immune response to function would be an increase in immune response. The cell-mediated response to infection would be an increase in immune response. A nonspecific immune response after influenza virus infection would be an increase in immune response. But don't these idiots get it? They had a decrease in immune response. There was no 
increase there. Yeah, but so the, how are they? How are the that sentence doesn't even make any sense? Well, the marketing at the corner drugstore won't be so uh, good next year. Come in and get your flu shot and have uh, a five point five times increased likelihood that you'll have respiratory infection. Exactly. Where and do all the customers go? No benefit to taking the vaccine, which they've clearly now established by taking the influenza. Mm-hmm. So the author of the, of the article about it, and she does really good work here. I have to say, hats off again. Uh, you know, it's at the Gaia Health website, Heidi Stevenson. She's doing a great yeah, she, article. She, this is really nice. I like the, I like this paragraph where she says, nonetheless, our agencies of health destruction, <laughs> yes. such as the U.S. alphabet soup of FDA, CDC, NIH. I don't know who this lady is, but I already like her. Yeah, Heidi's terrific. We appreciate her very much. And, you know, what she's trying to pull out here, and it is so confusing when you look at what they're trying to do. It's like they're doing a, the, the razzle dazzle tap dance. We don't want you to see what we've actually revealed here. But the, the idea of or the act of injecting these antigens suspiciously or, or however would say likely is damaging whatever they call it, innate cell mediated immune response. In other words, the vaccines, as we talk about it, do not help in any way. They only damage and destroy and weaken. Absolutely, Robert. And the thing is that for the public, what you have to understand and for everybody, actually, even for the doctors and the healthcare providers that listen to this, what you have to understand is that when we as providers come in to try to help patients to deal with their challenges. We always need to work in the broader picture. We should never go down into the nitty-gritty details because by doing so, we are now violating the negative inhibitory feedback loops that God has designed in our systems. If you're talking about the hormonal cascades or the immune cascades or whatever the issues are, always deal with it on a broad spectrum, meaning that we want to start way up on the top of the mountain and then let the natural cascades take place. So when you're talking about an immune response, there is no such thing as having a fragmented immune response that's going to be beneficial on this end and and oppositional on the other end or destructive on the other end. Mm -hmm. The body doesn't work that way. Either you improve it or you you don't improve it. Either you destroy it or you don't destroy it. You don't have, oh, part of it's better and part of it's worse. That is not how the system works. It is absurd to even insinuate that that's how the system works and the the really nice summary of this whole thing robert mm-hmm. that i'm sorry you said the lady's name is heidi right yeah yeah heidi, heidi, she heidi. Did, yeah. so she does a beautiful job because this last component is again you know i know i'm preaching the choir when i read this but this is what heidi writes and this is exactly right it says this is after the entire write-up of the study nonetheless our agencies of health destruction such as a u.s alphabet soup of fda cdc and nih and the UK's NHS, MHRA, and DOH, Dope. and Australia's. I'm sorry, Robert. <laughs> I just heard Homer Simpson say, Dope. Oh, that's true, Dope. <laughs> Australia's ANPHA, and Canada's Health Canada, plus the International World Health Organization, and massive foundations such as the Gates Foundation and GAVI. These and so many more routinely lie about the reality of vaccinations. They use fear tactics and lies to promote the profiteering of big pharma and big medicine at the expense of the populace and worse at the expense of our children Mm. and this last paragraph she hits it out of the park the reality of all these agencies is that though they may have been created for the purpose of benefiting our health they have been co-opted co-opted okay cooped Cooped you're in the chicken coop (laughs) exactly they have been co-opted by big pharma and big medicine who have managed to buy their way into them and I, I don't know necessarily if they've managed to buy their way into them or whether they actually 
took them over. Mm -hmm. uh, but regardless, she's absolutely right. The results in that these agencies now actively promote and even enforce the use of products and methods whose first purpose is to make profits. If that means the public's health must suffer, apparently it's a small price to pay when it doesn't affect the bottom line. And this is exactly, I mean, she's, she hit this ball right out of the ballpark. This is exactly mm -hmm. the point that I've been saying, you've been saying for ages. And in fact, what's happened now, which we ha we're going to be announcing shortly, you know, the most effective product that has ever been introduced into the, into the marketplace. And I've never said this before publicly. For 15 years, I've never said this, Robert. I have said certain things, but I've never made the statements. I'm going to make that statement now and I'm going to tell you why. The most effective product ever to be introduced into the human marketplace is a product named Trans-D-Tropin that we introduced 15 years ago. It has been all over the world and now the FDA in its infinite wisdom has declared that product that has all natural ingredients that has been on the market for 15 years for with no problems, with no safety issues, with no adverse reactions, that the FDA has in themselves inspected the manufacturing facilities and have looked at the labels. Everything has been fine for 15 years. The FDA now has, an, in its infinite wisdom, declared that product that has all grass ingredients, no adverse effects, a huge, huge safety profile as now being a drug. And it is no longer available. We are going to be putting this up. It is no longer available because they have classified it as a drug. And if we continue to uh, manufacture transitropin, then the problem is that you're manufacturing an illegal drug because it's not approved. In other words, if something has been deemed a drug and you're still manufacturing it, the implications are criminal. So you can't produce it. So if you make something that they have declared just arbitrarily after 15 years and, and they, they know – that the substance is completely natural. I mean, all the ingredients are listed. There's nothing in there that's synthetic. All the ingredients are grass. They have declared it a drug. And so the problem now is it can't be manufactured. And that's why I'm saying, in fact, on the website, it's going to say that exactly what I just said, that it is no longer available. And if you're as outraged as I am, then you should write to your congressman and ask, why is it that a product that's all natural, that should be protected under Deshaies, that has all the components that are grass ingredients, that's been inspected for 15 years, that has a, a complete 100% safety profile that has never been violated, why is that taken off the market? Or why is that considered a drug? And then, you know, this is a tactic that they've used. They've used this tactic to stop the production of this most effective product. Why? I think it's because what Heidi says over here, mm -hmm. that these agencies, their bottom line was being affected by transy and they couldn't have it anymore. Well, you talk about the public health and the private health. Remember, we've discussed moving out of the public health arena. And it's it's really an oxymoron. Public health is about inducing public disease. I mean, this is evidence right there that these agencies, whether they be in the U.S. or international or other countries, have basically been promoting the public disease, not the public health, by virtue of their endorsement and marketing actively of vaccination. We could stop there, but we could go into drugs, and we will in just a moment because there's another big uh, breaking news out of the FDA of someone high up there speaking out against the whole class of what we call blood pressure medications. Are you ready for that when we come back from this break, Dr. Patar? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Stand by. All the links are up at robertscadbell.com, including we've got upcoming some advanced medicine seminars you'll definitely want to be at, and I'll be at too. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more on the other side of this break. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Back at it, Advanced Medicine Monday continues. And boy, oh boy, are we picking apart, and rightfully so, not only the vaccine issue, but we'll get into the drug issue as well. Also, the FDA's penchant for converting dietary supplements into drugs simply because they do things they don't want them to do. Now, Dr. Batar, this has got to suck for a lot of folks around the world that utilize TransD and have for you know over a decade in many cases. Yeah, it is. It's going to be difficult, but um, there's we, we were really outmaneuvered because there was really nothing that we could do. We are in the process of trying to find a CGMP-compliant facility that can produce the product and, and figure out, our attorneys are trying to figure out, you know, what we need to do to get the product back online. But um, all I can tell you is that people should go to the website and uh, th- we'll have th- we'll have some information there probably in the next couple of days. I'd say by the end of this week, we'll have information on the website, at least resources where people can get more information as to what they can do. There may be certain uh, other strategies that they can implement because transdetropin as of now will not be available anymore until we can find an adequate manufacturer that can um, manufacture it using their definition of what is an adequate CGMP facility. That's one of the things that's really aggravating me, that they've inspected us for 15 years and never said that we were not mm-hmm. in compliance. We've been told we need to do this, we need to do that, and we've done it, and there's never been a problem. And now all of a sudden they come out and they say that you're not CGMP compliant. You know, How do you go 15 years of being compliant and all of a sudden you're not compliant? Well, I'll tell you how. Either one, mm-hmm. they arbitrarily change their rules. It's kind of like the standard of you know practice. And what is a standard of practice? There's no written standard of practice. Well, with the CGMP, there are written guidelines, but unfortunately, they tend to change them. And you know, when they're asking you to establish how you verify that the water is boiling and the water boiling, yeah, we talked about that. Sufficient. That was so absurd. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, th- those are the types of things you know that we have to actually. It would be analogous to a car manufacturer that's manufacturing cars having to go and test the tires that they're putting on the car. And the fact that, that there's a tire manufacturer that's tested them, that doesn't mean anything. You know, we have to have all the medium for culture mediums that we have. We have to have established ourselves the culture medium will grow bacteria. I mean, the whole idea is that bacteria can grow on areas where it's not supposed to. So you use culture media to grow it. Now they're saying that we have to qualify that that culture media has been verified by our own lab that it will grow bacteria. We can't buy it from a third-party company that specializes in culture medium or that we have to make sure that we have thermometers that will establish the boiling point, but that's not sufficient. We have to calibrate the thermometers ourselves. We have to establish that the thermometers are actually working the way the manufacturer said. I mean, who does that? And if there are companies that are doing that, I have such an appreciation for these nutraceutical companies that are going to all the extents to meet the criteria. Yeah, but I mean, Dr. Batar, this is really, as we've talked about and I have over the years, an attempt to, to knock out the small family type businesses, which are the backbone of the dietary supplement industry, and basically relegate them unable to do business unless they get infusions from pharmaceutical funding. That's exactly what it is because we came up with an estimate. It would have taken $18 million to have come into compliance with what they wanted us to do now. And the most absurd thing about the whole issue, Robert, is that they had made suggestions after 2010 that we had to make effective by our 2011 inspection. Those changes were implemented, and in 2011, we were told 
that we had problems with our process and the changes that were suggested in 2011 basically had to be undone to what we were doing originally. Well, the FDA said, oh, lovely. That's just uh, so. There, there was these there were these changes that were occurring that we had to. I mean, when you set up a change in a lab in a process that you do, it is not a simple task, no, and it's all huge. the components that have to be put into place, and then have to rechange them again. I mean, it was just an impossibility. And you know, there were there were certain things that the FDA pointed out during the inspections that were valid, and of course, we needed to change those, but. The summer of 2012, when we got the final report, we started to make some of those changes. But by November, early November, mid-November, it was clear that what they had set us up to do was fail. There was no way that we could be in compliance with everything that they wanted. It was just financially it wasn't feasible. Dr. Bajar, what I see here is the intent of putting another supplement out of the market. That's just, um, this is my humble opinion. You can, you'd agree or disagree, but you don't even have to say anything. But this is where we have an economy that's struggling in America and the FDA is doing its level best to wipe out the one of the powerful engines of our economy, which is the dietary supplement industry. It's one of the bright stars or bright spots of a very big struggle in recovery. And, and I just say it's unconscionable that, you know, if you're in Congress and you're listening to the show, you're going, dude, you got to rein those folks in. They're, they're out of control, in my opinion. Well, I think they are. And their definition of making claims is, is one of the things that's really offensive because the way that the whole setup is the question is asked are you still beating your wife or have you stopped beating her which still implies that you used to beat your wife right exactly so even if you never way. did yeah it didn't matter yeah. and that's the point of uh the, the description of this and the, and the violations of freedom of speech here which are so egregious uh jonathan emord has written about it extensively he's beaten the fda in court many times they still do it and the, the only only thing worse seemingly is the ftc but in the FDA itself, there are now people rebelling. And this is the big story now that a dispute is flaring within the FDA over safety of popular blood pressure drugs. Dr. Bittar, you know those angiotensins, they call them, receptor blockers? Arabins? Yeah, the angiotensin receptor blockers. So angiotensin is a hormone that is actually released from the kidneys. And before, I don't even know what you're going to say, and I'm not familiar with the with the argument mm -hmm. that you're going to talk about the argument in the FDA about these blood pressure medications, Robert. But before you say it, I will just make a point and then you can build upon that. And that point is cardiac medications for blood pressure issues, angiotensin inhibitors, yes. calcium channel blockers, beta blockers. These are blockers, inhibitors. They're all stopping reactions. They're all preventing the body from working the right way. Calcium channel blockers, beta blockers, angiotensin inhibitors, all these things are preventing the normal flow in the body. And this is one thing that natural supplements, that natural substances will do. They enhance, but drugs block. This is a very important distinction for people to understand that by definition, if you can enhance the flow of information, the energy, the chi, the body for, for continuing forward, that's a good thing. If you are inhibiting, stopping, blocking, preventing, inhibiting certain reactions from taking place, which is basically what pharmaceuticals do, that's bad. Now, if you have a natural substance that inhibits something, is that good? 
Absolutely not. Philosophically, you don't want to inhibit anything. You want to enhance everything. If there's a drug that actually enhances a pathway, is that good? Yes, it actually is good because it's enhancing the system to go forward. It's not stopping it, blocking it, and preventing it from going backwards. A perfect example would be a steroid. Everybody uses steroids for everything. Steroids decrease the inflammatory cascade, and so it's supposed to be better because it allows for better healing, etc., etc., etc. The problem is it's inhibiting the body's natural cascade. Yes, I understand why they want to stop the inflammation process, but it's also stopping the immune process from working. Right. So again, inhibitors are not good. Enhancers are always good. So notice the category of these drugs. They're all inhibitors. All the cardiac blood pressure medications are all blockers so now robert go on with your well the most the bulk of the fda basically is all about inhibiting and prohibiting as we said freedom of speech etc but we have here now somebody from within rebelling at the fda despite 7.6 billion dollars in sales not all blood just the angiotensin uh, inhibitors that's that's huge 7.6 billion can you Mm. imagine the supplements hitting that no it's not happening so here we have somebody saying well look the studies are now showing it's linked to higher cancer rates but it's approved it's approved by the fda hmm. and who who is the person at the fda or have they disclosed that by the yeah this Mar- is an fda reviewer uh, by the name of dr uh, marciniak or marciniak and he said he's clashed with his bosses over his desire to spend time on the arb related safety issues instead of on new drug applications because you know how the pressure is we got to we got to keep new drugs coming we got to make our customers happy you know, yeah. the customer should have been the American public who should be protected, but no, it's the drug industry that needs to get more drugs on the market. And we can't have you, you drug reviewer, actually reviewing these drugs that are on the market for danger. We can't have that happen. Robert, this reminds me of the interview with 2020 that I did. And they were talking about the various videos that were online that patients had posted. And some of them we posted and they said that, well, this isn't scientific based. And I said, well, who said the videos were scientific-based, but what they did was they took out that portion, so they just made it sound like we were talking about science, and I said, who said it's science-based? But, you know, they do the editing little little tricks. But the point that was really, really an awesome point that was made about evidence-based medicine, they, of course, took that completely out, and that point was the interviewer, and I don't remember his name, but he's the chief legal counsel for 2020, made the comment to me, he said, well, everything that you're doing, Dr. Buttar, how do you respond to the your critics, such as Yale University Department of Toxicology and some of the other hospitals that had that they had interviewed? How do you re- respond to their criticism that your methodology is not the prevailing scientific model? And I said, excuse me, what do you mean by that? He said, you know, it's not the standardly accepted evidence-based medicine model. And I said, excuse me, let me just make sure I understand this. Are you talking about the evidence-based model that depends upon double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-centered trials that led to the advent of such drugs as Vioxx that had to kill 55,000 people before they took it off the market? Is that the evidence-based medicine, the prevailing scientific method that you're talking about? <laughs> and, of course, he paused and he says, well, let's go on and change well, the subject. And they didn't air any of that. But that's really the truth. That's what it comes down to because here's something that – We as a society, and when I say as a society, I mean as a global society, must understand that science is built upon facts, just like a house is built upon bricks. But a pile of facts is no more science than a pile of bricks is a house. So we 
need to acquire these facts so that we can build science out of it. But just by accumulating facts, as as is accomplished by a double-blind placebo-controlled crossover study, because all that does is build facts. It has nothing to do with science. It just collects information. Well, and it, 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 it really revealed some inconvenient facts when we discuss the flu shot. Listen, we got to take a break. we got one more segment here. We'll wrap up Advanced Medicine Monday, maybe even give you some blood pressure tips, too, which we do from time to time here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. More Advanced Medicine Monday after this. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. to go where the truth takes him. Here's Robert. Dr. Batar, what were you saying about a big stinking pile of facts? Facts, that's what you were talking about before we had to go to break there. What was that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the, the, the facts aren't always stinking. Okay. I mean, facts sometimes can be good. It's the, the stink actually comes from the person who's now interpreting those facts and puts them together to build science and if they've already got a premeditated agenda, then they're going to try to take those facts and paint them into a picture that supports their agenda as opposed to truly looking at the scientific process, which is defined as observation. Once you observe something, you postulate a hypothesis and then you test that hypothesis and see how many times it recurs, which is the true definition of science. So science is truly observation and then deducing from that observation, is this something that occurs and recurs? enough times to then make it the prevalent thought process, which would then be scientific. In other words, this is how Plato described science. Sure. Now, or maybe it was Socrates, I can't remember, but regardless. But the problem is that when we start to accumulate these facts and then we paint pictures that are not supported by observation. So this yeah. is like saying, as I've said before on the show, every time I see fires, I see fire engines. Okay, well, that's a fact. Therefore, I conclude that fire engines cause fires. That is not science. And that's the logic that they use. They, they observe the fact that there's fire engines every time there's fires, but then they make an assumption, they deduce, they conclude that the fire engines are causing the fires, which you and I both know that's not how it works. So that's where the fallacy between collecting of facts and science comes in. Right. Beautifully said. Now, observationally speaking, and also since we know the pathways of blood pressure, we know what really is the problem in a lot of blood pressure cases, so we also know what to do to undo it, and that does not necessarily include the FDA-approved drugs for blood pressure. Absolutely. You are absolutely correct. So what would we use? Well, one of the problems is that we talk about sodium, and we say that we need to reduce sodium, which is absurd because our bodies are primarily made up of sodium chloride. Now, it's actually the salt that's the issue. It's not the sodium that's the problem. It's actually the chloride that's the problem. In fact, just very recently, it's funny that you bring this up, Robert. Mm -hmm. There was a study that was released that specifically talks about this. And unfortunately, I don't have access to that study here right now. But the bottom line is that the salt is not the issue. It's another issue and the other issue is what they're talking about that it's actually the the component that's added to the sodium in this particular case chloride but even bigger picture mm -hmm. it's a toxicity issue yes 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 and how many times issue. do we talk about the use of non-steroidals and other things like this creating kidney problems that also impact on blood pressure 
Absolutely. So if we look at textbook of uh, Cecil's textbook of internal medicine, their primary cause of hypertension, they have different categories of hypertension, but the primary cause of hypertension, which represents over 80% of hypertension in the industrialized world, is classified as idiopathic hypertension, which basically means they don't know what causes it. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell you that it's cadmium-related. Cadmium toxicity is the primary reason that people have high blood pressure. And in my patient population, with patients from over 77 countries now, I think we're at 78 or 79 countries, we don't have a single person on antihypertensive medication. Nobody on blood pressure medication. The bottom line, Robert... If you eliminate the toxicity, in this particular case, cadmium is a primary one. Of course, mercury can contribute to it. We know that there's evidence that mercury is directly correlated with heart attacks, as published in the New England Journal of Medicine, as published in the Journal of the American, uh, excuse me, the American Journal of Cardiology, etc. Yes. But we also know that uh, that lead toxicity can play a role in this. And then there's, of course, various types of persistent organic pollutants that can also have a contributory role. But if you're looking at primary issue that you want to alleviate of high blood pressure, look at cadmium toxicity, reduce it, and statistically 80%, in other words, four out of five people with high blood pressure will not need to be on their blood pressure medication anymore. Other than that, when we talk about dietary changes, if you've got a patient that comes in acutely and you have access to IVs, you would give magnesium sulfate to a person that has high blood pressure and bring it down versus a person that has a low blood pressure and you want to bring that up so that they can perfuse their brain and not have a stroke or anything like that or have a cardiac event because of... Uh, lack of flow of blood to the myocardium, then in that person you want to give them magnesium chloride. Now, notice they're both magnesiums, but one drives the pressure up, one drives the pressure down. Magnesium chloride will actually drive the pressure up. It mm-hmm. causes a vasoconstriction, whereas magnesium sulfate will have a, a vasodilatory effect and actually drop the blood pressure. So if you are a person that has high blood pressure and you want to do something about it, the first thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that you're exercising, you do all those different types of things, that have already suggested exercise and, and dietary changes, but not the dietary changes they're talking about, not reducing sto- sodium intake, but making sure that you're eating a balanced, nutritious diet, that you're not having the the fatty foods and all these other things. That These are the general things. In fact, they can read my book and, and learn what they yes, need to do. Yes, the nine steps to keep the doctor away. What a great place to end for now. That's your homework, everybody, especially all our new listeners. If you haven't picked up the international bestseller by Dr. Batar, do so. We'll see everybody up there at the Health Freedom Expo, and then we'll be back with another Advanced Medicine Monday. After that, take a look. It's all there. The links are up. Dr. Batar, thanks again. Another awesome show. Thank you, Robert. I'm sorry that it was cut off short, but we'll continue this maybe the next show. Absolutely, we'll do it. In the meantime, remember, God's honest truth, the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.